Fantastic. Could I invite you to stand up with me, please? I'd like to just take a few moments to pray uh, this morning. Father, we come before you today and we acknowledge that we are tired of a powerless Christianity, Lord. We're tired of a cerebral Christianity. We don't want just information. We want revelation, Lord. We want to taste of the powers of the age to come, Lord. I thank you, God, that this gospel is not a powerless gospel. We're a supernatural people serving a supernatural God in a supernatural time. And we're about to do some supernatural things. And so I pray that you would raise the expectation of the people today. That you would raise the anticipation of what you are about to do. And perhaps if it pleases you, God, that this morning you will release tokens of the kingdom that is to come, Lord. The power of the kingdom that we may taste and see for ourselves that the Lord is good. Hallelujah. I give you the glory and praise. And everybody said, Amen. Let's give God a big praise. And then you may be seated. In the presence of God, my text for today is Revelation chapter 22 and verses 3 to 5. I want to talk to you today on the, on the powers of the age to come, tasting the powers of the age to come. And it says here, and they shall, there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him, and they shall see His face. Oh man, you got to underscore that. They shall see His face and His name shall be on their foreheads, there shall be no night there. They need no lamp, nor the light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. That's a long time. All that God is doing right now in our midst is preparing us for three things that are mentioned here in Revelation chapter 22. Number one, there will be no more curse. This is the ultimate result of redemption. Number two, they shall see His face. This is the ultimate purpose of justification. And number three, they shall reign forever and ever. This is the ultimate destiny of all the saints. I want to unpack this a little bit for you. Number one, there shall be no longer any curse. One of the things that's going to be completely absent in the new heavens and the new earth is that there shall be no more curse. The curse that entered the creation as a result of Adam's transgression will not just be nullified or reversed, it will be completely reversed and there will not be a single trace of it any longer. There, will be, there was no curse in the garden and there will come a time in the future where there will be no more curse and we shall see the full execution and enforcement of what Jesus did at Calvary. Amen. The second thing is we shall see His face. I think this is the longing, the ultimate longing of the human soul. It is to see the face of God and I don't know of anything I desire or long for more, long for more than this, right? And the promise is we shall behold Him just as He is. Amen. Isaiah 33 gives us a wonderful promise that we shall see the King in His beauty. The third thing that will happen in the Scripture is that we shall reign forever and ever. This is our eternal destiny. This, we're being prepared right now to reign with Him as kings and as priests. This is part of the Melchizedekian priesthood that God is preparing us for. And it's this reigning with Him that I want to address today. One of the things that we've not fully understood is how much the natural world reflects heaven. There are great similarities. Everything that heaven is, earth is a reflection, but in a sort of a lesser degree. Paul talked about the glory of the celestial. He talked about the glory of the terrestrial, how they differ from one another. Now, if you read the book of Revelation, especially the last few chapters, God gives us a little 
peek into the heavenly city and you'll discover, hey, it's a lot like earth. Or rather, earth is a lot like heaven. There are streams, there are rivers, and there are trees. The city has gates and houses and streets. It's got water features, it's got garden, it's got fruits, and yes, it's got an immigration policy as well. It's called walls, all right? There are mountains, there are foundations, there are all kinds of precious stones. And these are things that we are familiar with on earth, right? But what we do not find in heaven is the curse. What we do not find in heaven is sickness, suffering, shame, disease. Neither will there be anything that defiles or causes an offense. There will be no more temptations. We're going to see creatures like we've never seen before. There are creatures that have four faces. Come on. On earth, I've seen some with two faces, but you know, in heaven, they've got four-faced creatures. They've got buildings that we've never seen before. And the one thing you will never, ever see again, ever in heaven, is an unbeliever. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Lord's Prayer is the most apostolic prayer in all of the Bible because it's designed to bring heaven down to earth. And I encourage you to pray the Lord's Prayer at least once a day, at least once a day, uh, and I will not ask you to do something that I do not myself practice. Now, heaven is perfect, and it's perfect because the will of God is always done in heaven, all the time. So just imagine for a few moments the potential of having a slice of heaven in, on earth. Right? Just think about it. If the will of God is always done in cornerstone, then potentially we can have a slice of heaven here in this church. If the will of God is always done in cornerstone, there will be no cancer. If the, church, if the will of God is always done in cornerstone, God will eradicate sickness and poverty and premature deaths. Our children will be blessed. Our families will be blessed. Your businesses will be blessed. Our bonds will be blessed. Now expand this to every other aspect of our lives. We can have a slice of heaven in our families, a slice of heaven in our workplace. And all this begins by taking seriously what Jesus said to us. Now the Garden of Eden was a slice of heaven on earth before the fall. Everything in the garden was perfect. The temperature must have been optimal. The smells must have been delightful. Everything was beautiful. And Eden simply means extravagant pleasure. Why? Because there was no curse in the garden. There was no barrenness. There was no death. It was a perfect environment because it was a perfect replica of heaven. Now, in every garden, you know that if you are a designer, there is a centerpiece. The centerpiece in the Garden of Eden was the tree of life. And the fruit of the tree of life was the thing that sustained Adam's immortality. Adam wasn't eternal like God was, but Adam was immortal, and as a result of that, his immortality had to be rejuvenated, if I could use that word. What was the mandate that God gave to Adam? He was to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, expand the boundaries of the kingdom so that it would cover the length and the breadth of planet earth. That was his assignment, but you all know the story. Adam's sin and in his disobedience forfeited his position the curse entered into mankind and the glory of God slowly ebbed and faded. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus tiptoed quietly into this warm lake of humanity to reverse the curse and restore to us the order of the heavenly kingdom. The first Adam in the first garden forfeited paradise. The last Adam in the second garden regained paradise. On the cross, Jesus exhausted every curse through his atoning death and became the propitiation for our sins. And he now sits at the right hand, waiting for every enemy to be put under his feet. And he will not return until every enemy is put under his feet. Come on. Now the death, resurrection of Jesus Christ 
was only the beginning. The resurrection led to the ascension. Ten days later, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon the 120 people in the upper room. The church was birthed, and the church expanded its influence, like the garden, like the garden, into all of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the outermost parts of the world. It's taken some time, but we're getting the job done. Every step is important because it opens the way to something greater. The work he does is always intergenerational, and every generation has a part to play to prepare the way for the next generation. I'm getting a greater clarity about this, and I realize everything that I'm doing on this planet is to make sure that we pave the way for the next generation. Our generation is not more important than the coming generation or the one prior to it, amen? Every generation is important. I was reading something about the monarch butterflies that migrate from the northern part of America to the south in the cold winters. It takes six generations to migrate, six generations to migrate from one place to another. In, what, in other words, death, life, death, life, death, life. And each generation dies and the next generation comes to fulfill one thing, to bring the entire, what do you call it, a colony of butterflies? Okay to uh, their migratory, uh, in, in their migratory patterns. Six generations. It's amazing. And so what God does is always intergenerational. Now, Pentecost to me is the greatest event that happened on planet Earth apart from the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The ministry of Jesus when he was on the earth was limited. He was localized by his humanity. In other words, he could only be one place at one time. But with the coming of the Holy Spirit, what happened was Jesus could be everywhere that his people were. Amen? And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the game changer and the Father's ultimate gift to the church. And the first essential for a charismatic church like Cornerstone is to honor the work of the Holy Spirit and make room for him. Amen? With all reverence. And you know, what, what do I mean when I say make room for the Holy Spirit? What does it entail for us. And I believe that one of the things that it entails is that we must give room for the Holy Spirit to manifest His gifts. And I believe that all the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit ought to be firing in cornerstone. Hallelujah. In our cell groups, all the nine gifts ought to be the gifts of healings and miracles, the gifts of faith. Hallelujah. The, 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 the speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, the discerning of spirits, all these gifts, prophecy, all these gifts must be functioning at all times in our services, in all meetings, hallelujah. And that's how we make room for the Holy Spirit. Now in a big meeting like that, sometimes it's a bit difficult, but I'm just saying to the leaders, how do we find a way where we can just make room for the Holy Spirit to do whatever He wants to do in this place, amen. I want you to increase your expectation because I believe at the end of this service that we are going to have tokens of the manifestation of His presence in this place today. The question that I'm often asked as a pastor is if God is a God of power, then why aren't we seeing his power in a more greater way like the church in the, in the book of Acts? And I want to attempt to answer this question by looking at the first five verses of the book of Hebrews, the sixth chapter. And here we find some of the most important verses concerning sovereignty. I'm going to say something that will provoke you, and I, I, I'm doing this to really lay a foundation for you today. In verse one, we read, therefore leaving the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. What is the goal of the Christian life, my friends? What is the goal? What is the vision of the Christian life? It's perfection, perfection. 
And by perfection, I simply mean obtaining the full stature of Jesus Christ. He is perfection, amen? And how much we attain to His nature and character is how much maturity we will uh, attain. The longing of the writer to the Hebrews says, come on, guys, come on. Don't stay where you are, man. Don't stay in infancy. Don't stay in spiritual kindergarten. Move on and grow to perfection. But in order for us to go into perfection, you need to have a clear understanding of six foundational doctrines or what we call elementary truths. And it's given in verse one and two. Repentance, faith, the laying on of hands, baptisms, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. If you don't have these foundations in, in your life, you are still confined to primary school. And the scary thing is many Christians never graduate beyond primary school all their lives. They're spiritual infants walking around in spiritual diapers, behaving like infants because they never allow the Holy Spirit to do what He wants to do. If you don't have these things laid in your life, how can you ever grow? I know Christians after 10 years of being Christians refuse to be baptized. And if you don't get baptized, you will never pass kindergarten in your spiritual life, never. There are things that God says you must do and we must be obedient. Amen. And so you need to have these six foundation doctrines laid in your life. Verse three is an interesting verse, it's a little caveat. It says, and this we will do if God permits. What does it mean? It means the deciding factor on who goes on to God, who goes on to perfection is God alone. He alone reserves the right to decide who goes on, who does not, because of His foreknowledge and, and His love, of course. Because once you cross a certain line, there is no longer any possibility of repentance. He would rather keep us as babes and children in His kingdom rather than lose us for all eternity. Wow. A well-known preacher recently posted this on Facebook. He said, God will never override your free will. That is true in most circumstances. He gives us the power to choose. We call that free choice. But let me just go on record to say this. There are some things He decides and no amount of jostling no amount of willpower is going to change his mind or budge him one single inch, man. I started it out in my Christian life with very strong Armenian leanings and theology because all the preachers I listened to had strong Armenian theology. Cornerstone is a very strong Armenian church, by the way. By Armenian, I believe it's someone who goes around to do all he or she can do to bring as many people to the knowledge of Jesus Christ because to the Armenian the choice, the free choice is the preeminent thing and people must be persuaded to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. If you are an evangelist, you are probably very strongly Armenian. I grew up with people, under people like Reinhard Bonke who always was persuading people to receive Christ as their Savior. We must plunder hell and populate heaven. Hallelujah. But as I grew older, I think the needle shifted a little towards Calvinism. I'm not Calvinist. I want to go on record, period. But I have a lot of friends who are Calvin, Calvinistic in their theology. All I'm saying is that the older I got, the more I began to appreciate the sovereignty of God. There are some things God only decides, all right? And this does not negate the fact that we have to preach, convince, persuade people to come to salvation. That's our mandate. But I will never tell people they're safe. Never. 
I will, I will show them how to get saved. Only the Holy Spirit can bear witness that they've been born again. Amen. So, you know, at this stage in my life, the older I get, I begin to appreciate a little more the sovereignty of God and I'm learning how to work with that sovereignty. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 3 is one of those verses. If God permits, we will move on, right? This we will do if God permits. He alone decides who moves on, right? Now, what's on the other side of elementary truths? We know that verse 1 and verse 2 is the foundational truths. What's on the other side of the line? I want to show this to you. And there are five things we need to experience before you and I can go on to perfection. And they're quite scary, right? So let me just read this to you. In verse 4 and 5, For it is impossible for those who are once enlightened, have tasted of the heavenly gift, and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, have tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, if they fall away, the word is apostasy, to renew themselves to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open shame. In the Christian life, there is a thin red line and once you cross that line, there is no longer any possibility of repentance. That line is the line of apostasy. Let me explain it to you this way. The Hebrew Christians were under a lot of pressure to capitulate because of the persecution. Their properties were being confiscated. Their rights were being violated. They were being harassed. Put yourself in their shoe. Your kids are being attacked in school. Your windows are being shattered because of graffiti on your home that you know you're a Christian and things like that. No one had been killed yet. No blood has been shed yet. But you are under great duress because of the pressure. And the pressure was to go back to the synagogues because in those days, Judaism wasn't outlawed. Christianity was banned. If you are a Christian and you refuse to capitulate, you refuse to renounce your faith, that's it. You're dead, buddy. But Judaism was still legal in the Roman Empire. So these Hebrew Christians... Were, were being pressured and all they needed to do was to go back to the synagogue publicly and say, I don't believe in Jesus Christ anymore. I renounce my faith in Jesus. They will accept you. The persecution will stop. And the writer of the Hebrew says, you do that. There is no turning back. There's no coming back from that. You seal your doom. You have sealed your doom for eternity. You will never see the insides of heaven. You put the Son of God to open shame. You will never do that. And I'll tell you this, today I want you to make a decision that in life and death we belong to Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't care if they're going to put a gun on your forehead. I don't care if they're going to take my house. I don't care if they're going to take everything that I have. I'm never going to renounce my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm never going to capitulate. I'm going to stand for Jesus. I want you to make that decision once and for all because if you don't ever make that decision, you will never cross that line into something greater. You will always be, you know, I don't know if this is going to happen. You'll always be a flip-flop Christian. You'll always be up here, down one day, up one day. I tell you this, we got to make that decision once and for all that I belong to Jesus Christ and I will never forsake Him. And because God has foreknowledge, He, he knows those who will move on. Because I, you know, I, I've heard many Christians, sometimes when they are young, they're foolish, they become Christians, things happen in their life, they get so angry, why did God allow this to happen? Why did God take my mother? Why did God take my father? Why, if he's God, why did he allow my brother to die of cancer or something like that? And they get so angry with God. I don't want to have any deal with you anymore. I don't want to be a Christian. I'm walking out of the church. I'm walking out of you. Don't even talk to me anymore. And a lot of Christians do that. 
They walk out of the, their faith and you know, 10 years later, God touches them and they come back and the Lord is so patient with them because he knows the things that they're going through and he says, I understand. I understand what you're going through and I'm not angry with you. But if you're a mature Christian and you've been a Christian for many years and you say that to the Lord, there no, there's no coming back from that because you've, you've enjoyed, you've tasted of the kingdom of God in such a way that God says, now I expect you. Now that you have tasted of these things, you have to understand even greater. Now five things very quickly on the other side of the fence. Number one, those who have been enlightened. The word enlightened in the Greek is the word fortizo, which means to, to shine, to brighten up. This is a person who's been brought, brought into great light, into great clarity, someone who has got prophetic experiences with Christ. This is Ephesians chapter one. Paul prayed for the eyes of our understanding to be enlightened, to understand the, the hidden mysteries of Christ. A man who has been enlightened is a man who's been permitted to see by revelation the glory of Christ and his coming kingdom. This is not just little Bible study stuff, all right, or information. Number two, those who have tasted of the heavenly gift. The heavenly gift is Christ, right? This is where we enter into union with him. This is a place of intimacy. This is a place of fellowship. If the Lord has appeared to you before, if the Lord has appeared to you in a vision before, uh, then probably that's a sign that you have tasted of the heavenly gift. Number three, those who have been partakers of the Holy Spirit. This is more than just the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is essentially a baptism of power and it's our anointing to function in the body of Christ. But we cannot stop there. It ought to lead us to greater manifestations of the power. And for one, I tell you this, there are seven anointings of the Holy Spirit in Isaiah chapter 11. The Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom and revelation, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of God. We must grow, man, my friends. Don't stay at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There is more in God. We are a charismatic church. We're a Pentecostal church. But don't don't stay at just the gifts. God has got more for you. Amen. Good more experiences for us. Hallelujah. Number four, those who have tasted of the good word of God. My goodness. The word, the Greek word here is not the word logos. It's not just what you read. It's the rhema. It's the hidden manner. It's the, it's the hidden mysteries of the word of God. When it says hidden, it means it's, it's not obvious. Right? You've got to pursue it by, by revelation. It's not your simple devotional that you do on WhatsApp. Uh, version, version app or whatever you do, all right? There's something deeper that God wants to bring you to. It's the good word of God. Those who have, number five, those who have tasted of the powers of the age to come. And this is what I want to focus on. I tell you this, my friends, Cornerstone, we are going to taste the power of the age to come. Amen. I want to decree this over this congregation this morning. We are going to taste the taste of the powers of the age to come. We are going to taste and be partakers of the Holy Spirit. Get ready, my friends. Get ready. Hallelujah. This week, a sister wrote to me and she had the most marvelous experience. She said she was on her bed and then the Spirit of God came upon her and she was translated literally in the Spirit. She says, Pastor, two wheels appeared and I was translated in the Spirit. And the next thing I know, I was in a house. There were three people there and they were crying out, Lord, if you are real, show us, your, speak to us. And she said, I was there one moment in my bedroom. The next moment I was there sharing the gospel with them. They came to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the next moment I'm back in my bedroom. Hallelujah. And what happened was that she was translated. It was an amazing experience. And 
this is happening to people in Cornerstone right now. People are getting very unique experiences. So I'm telling this to you to provoke you, to say, Lord, I want more of this, amen. Every time I hear somebody having a wonderful experience like this, it provokes me to say, God, what you did for them, I want also, hallelujah. The powers of the age to come. Three things that requires explanation. The first is the word taste. A taste is not a 10-course dinner. I, I was at a wedding dinner last night. It was an eight-course wedding dinner. Uh, it, I didn't taste the dinner. I had the full course, so I, I ate everything, man. Um, but a taste is different, right? You, you're tasting something. It's not a 10-course dinner. The 10-course meal is when we enter the age to come, right? But there are those who, in every generation, get the privilege to somehow taste what belongs rightfully to another era. And I'll explain this in a few moments, right? Secondly, the age to come. There are two ages mentioned in the Bible, this age or the present age or the age and the age to come. Jesus delivered us not just from our sin, but he came to deliver us from this age, which is characterized by, by lawlessness, by rebellion, and we need to be delivered from that as well. Now, the popular Christian view is we live our lives to the best of our ability. When we die, hopefully we get to heaven. Then we will be free from sin, shame, sickness, and sadness. And everything will be hunky-dory. The Bible doesn't teach that, unfortunately. The Bible doesn't use this word heaven or when I go, I'm going to go to heaven. It uses the phrase this age and the age to come to describe now and the future. So when we talk to one another, don't, let's, let's not use the word heaven any longer. Let's talk, are you going to qualify for the next age to come? Because eternity is not just one long stretch of immortality. It's broken down in ages, right? One age breaks to another age, and then to another age, and to another age. And our participation in the age to come depends on how we live our lives here on the earth. Okay? That's really important because a lot of Christians have very silly ideas about, well, as long as I get to heaven, that's all that matters. Everything matters while you're on the earth. This, this life is a probationary life. You're being tested all the time. Your behavior, your responses, how you walk in faith, your lifestyle, character, everything. You're being tested all the time. All the time. Matthew chapter 12, verse 32 is one example. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, watch this, it will not be forgiven him either in this age or in the age to come. And I think this is probably one of the most serious verses in the entire Bible. This is one of those no repentance verses. You be careful how you speak about the Holy Spirit. You be careful how you speak to the Holy Spirit. Because in all my life as a Christian, I have never seen someone mocking the Holy Spirit or mocking the charismatic renewal or mocking the Pentecostal experience end up well in this Christian life. Not once. Not once. In this verse, Jesus is delineating two separate ages, this age and the age to come. Right? One more scripture, Ephesians chapter 1, where it says that he raised him from the dead and seated him at, the, at his right hand above, in the heavenly places above all principality and power. Woo! Might and dominion in every name that is named not only in this age, but also that which is to come. Paul is explaining the exhortation of Christ and he describes Christ as being seated far above all principalities and powers, not only in this, in this present age, but also in the age that is to come. 
He calls Satan, the God of this age, the prince of the power of the air. Satan dominates this present age, but always remember, Jesus' throne is higher than Satan's throne. Amen. What, hap- what, what, did, what separates these two ages? The age, our age, and the age to come. It's something called the second coming of Christ, right? At the second coming of Christ, our age comes to an end, and the new age begins, okay? But the wonderful thing is that if you read Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 7, that in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding greatness of His grace. You'll know that after this, our age will come the age to come, and after that age will be another age, after that will be another age, and after that will be another age. So the purposes of God keep on progressing. They keep on unveiling themselves, and we keep on learning more about the great God we serve. There is no end to this, my friends. It's one age into another age. into The kingdom of God is always progressing. It's always moving forward. Come on, hallelujah. And we all have a part to play. I am very cognizant of it. So I understand that my generation is not more important than the one before. We are just one generation preparing ourselves for the next generation. And you've got to see it that way. Hallelujah. And the third thing that I want to talk about, which is uh, the focal point of my message today, is the word power. Power of the age to come. You know, I'm fascinated by the power of God. If you think about this, the splitting of the atom, which is the little, the tiniest of particles, release such great power. In the same way, the tiniest amount of faith can move the greatest amount without even breaking one single drop of sweat. Come on. For God to move a mountain, that's the easiest thing. In fact, He doesn't need to move mountains. He gives us the right to move those mountains. And He puts the little, little tiny amount of faith in us to do that. It doesn't take a lot of faith. Hallelujah. In every generation, I want you to listen to this because this is my punchline. In every generation, God permits a select remnant not only to see, but to taste the powers of the age to come. This is true historically, right? There's always been people in history who saw a way into the future, whether it was the Wright brothers or the Thomas Edison, Alexander Graham Bell, Tesla, uh, Gutenberg. They saw into the future. But it wasn't just people in history, it was people in the Bible. You saw Abraham, Abraham saw Jesus, and he said, I rejoice when I saw his day. The prophets all saw into the future. But there were those who not just saw into the future, they enjoyed and experienced the future as well. Moses constantly touched the powers of the age to come, constantly. You think of the things that he did, parting the Red Sea, manna from heaven. I mean, the guy had such power the world had not seen before, all right? Now, coming back to the question, why don't we see the power of God manifesting more forcibly in the church? The answer to that is in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. And with this, I'll come to a landing. It says, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we can ask or think, according to the power that works within us. You know, Paul uses four adjectives to drive home the point that there's nothing that God cannot do. Come on. So that we will know that there's nothing He cannot do. And whatever we can ask, whatever we can think, God can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we can ask or think. Woo! Hallelujah. He's not limited. The only thing that limits Him is the corresponding power that works within us. And I think that that's directly proportional or related to our crucifixion with Christ. I think the greater we are crucified with Christ, the greater the power of God can work with us. So my friends, the lack of power in the church is not God's problem. It's our issue. 
we need to allow the Holy Spirit to do something in us so that we have a greater capacity to carry the power of God. I'll show this to you in the early church. Man, did they carry the power of God. Peter would would walk and they would line the streets with sick people so that if his shadow would just touch them, they would be healed. Come on, what do you call that? What do you call that? The powers of the age to come. Jesus, when he was on earth, demonstrated again and again to us the powers of the age to come. He walked on water. Hey, that's not natural. When was the last time did you see someone walk on water? When you see someone walk on water, you know that they're defying the very laws of logic and gravity, the natural laws. They are transcending those laws. And Jesus constantly did that to show us what is possible. Hallelujah. Multiplied the, the bread and, and fed 5,000 people. He was constantly pushing the boundaries to show us that we can do it as well because the same Holy Spirit that was in Him is in us today. But it's all limited with one thing, the power that works within us. We have to discover, Lord, how do we allow the Holy Spirit to stretch us so that there's no more limitations? Woo! You know, I believe with all my heart, God wants to give us power to call fire from heaven. But we just can't handle it, right? John and James, they were... What are you doing up here? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Not yet. <laughs> John and James, they were in the Samaritan village. They said, we don't want Jesus to come. They go to Jesus. They were so upset. They said, do you want us to call fire from heaven? Jesus said, what's the matter with you guys? I didn't come to destroy. I came to save. So, you know, he, he, sometimes I think he wants to give us that power, but he doesn't know how we, whether we can be trusted. Huh? Lord, send fire on my wife, Lord. Send fire, send fire on my husband. No, these things cannot happen, right? Because we can't handle it. He says, uh, I better not let these guys play with the, the power of the age to come. And we forfeit the right because we don't know how to handle these things. I mean, the power of God was demonstrated in the early church again and again and again. They shook the world. I mean, they turned the world upside down. The children of Israel, you think about, this is not even in the New Testament. This is in the Old Testament. They came out of Egypt, two and a half million people. And the Bible says not one of them was sick. I mean, you think about this. Can you imagine a nation totally healed of every sickness and every disease? If it happened in the Old Testament, it can happen again in the New. And we got to believe God for these things. Amen. The fire fell, the mountain shook, the waters parted, the manna descended, the water from the rock. All that is power from the age to come. Elijah, Elisha constantly touched the powers of the age to come. Enoch never tasted death. They transcended natural laws. When we cross in the New Testament, it was the same. They transcended natural laws. I tell you this, my friends, the kingdom of God is seeking expression. It wants to manifest. It wants to be seen. It's, uh, we are living in the audible, but it's going to be distinguishable. That which has been hidden is going to be made manifest. That which has been unseen will be seen. And all flesh shall glory, see the glory of the Lord. It is coming. It is coming. Hallelujah. We are going to see the manifest presence of God. And may cornerstone be the tip of the sphere. Amen. Oh, my friends, I'm, I'm just hungry. I'm just desperate for this. I want more of God. Amen. I don't know about you, but I tell you this. I... I'm praying, we are praying every day. I've got a group of young men, we pray every day for God to move in this church, for more of Him, for revival. I don't know how much you want Him, 
But I'm telling you today, why don't you say, God, would you permit me to move on with you? I don't want to stay in spiritual kindergarten any longer. I don't want to stay in primary school, Lord. I don't want to stay as a kid and an infant in the kingdom. I want to grow and I want to ask you to give me permission, Lord, to grow into maturity, Lord, to come into perfection, Lord. I don't want to stay on the outskirts and the peripherals of what you're doing. I want more of you, Jesus. My spiritual father, and I close with this, had an experience many years ago. He died, was taken to heaven and was shown his life on a screen before he went across into the new city of Jerusalem. He said, he told me this story five times, at least. He said, Tuck, I was standing at the, the banks of this river and a screen came down. And he said, everything that I did in my life was shown to me on that screen. He said, the times that I sinned was blotted out. There were blanks, 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 blanks. And the angel said, every time you sin and ask God for forgiveness, those records were blanked off from your record. Then he said, I was shown something that I did not know. He said, I was dying before my time. God had a plan for me, had a purpose for my life, but I was dying before the time. He said, I, I was not going to fulfill the will of God for my life. He said, I was so sad and broken in my heart just before I entered into heaven. He said, God, would you give me another chance? I'm not ready to die yet. I'm not ready to see you yet, Lord. I've not finished my race, Lord. I've not finished my assignment in life. Please have mercy. And God gave mercy to Brother Bailey and allowed him to come back. And he said, my spirit came back into my body. He said, I came out, I came back into life. My friends, I want you to stand up with me right now. Some of you are playing a fool in your life. Some of you are just strolling upon in life. You are totally unaware of what is happening around you. You're totally unaware of God's purposes for your life. It's time for you to get serious with God, my friends. Don't dilly-dally any longer. Don't play around any longer. This is the hour for us to get serious with God and say, God, I want this with all my heart, Lord. I want this, Lord. I want you to give me permission, Lord, to move on to perfection, Lord. I don't want to stay where I am. I want to finish my assignment, Lord. I want to fulfill the reason why I was created in the first place, Lord. I want to fulfill your plan and purposes for my life, Lord. Oh, my friends, I tell you this, I'm tired of a powerless Christianity. If you want the power of God and you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you will receive power, hallelujah. But there is something more. We got to move on. We got to be filled continually on a daily basis. Say, God, fill me with the Holy Ghost. Fill me with the Holy Ghost, Lord. I don't want to live a, a powerless Christianity. When I pray for the sick, I expect the sick to be healed. You know, Jesus never said to ask me for healing. He said, you heal the sick. You cast out demons. You raise the dead. Wow. Woo. And I tell you this, He, is, he will back you up if you walk in faith, amen. Close your eyes, everybody. I want you to start asking the Holy Spirit right now, wherever you are. Say, Holy Spirit, I want more of you. God, I want more of you, Lord. Less of me, more of you. Fill me, fill me, fill me. Come on, ask Him right now, wherever you're standing. Hallelujah. Come on, my friends. Let the spiritual realities be greater than the natural world. Oh, hallelujah. Give God, give these people eyes to see, Lord. The realm of the Spirit, Lord. Give them hearts to perceive, Lord. Let them know that they were born for a purpose, Lord. That you had a plan for them. A scroll was written upon their lives, Lord. And all the great plans that you have for them has been written.
again. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Come on. Pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, right now, I pray the power of Christ would descend upon this room right now. Let the power of Christ just, just fall in this place. I rebuke every power of the enemy in the name of Jesus. I rebuke every confusion and every deceitful thing, Lord Jesus, and everything that blinds us from the revelation of the knowledge of your power. In Jesus' name, Shokaraba. Pastor is talking about moving on to maturity. You know, that's one thing we always um, want your hearts to be stirred about. Not to be where you are, but to move forward. You know, in life, we know what's good. We work, we are responsible that we have food on the table. And I'm going to read you two scriptures. One we all know, but another one I want you to ponder. In Matthew 6, we all know this. Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things, it says, The Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So first thing I want to say is this. If you will press in, God is going to show you what this righteousness is really about because we all have pictures and understanding of what it is but I want to ask you just press in for the righteousness of God because it's going to take you into today what will be the age to come think about that John 6 it says this Jesus answered after he fed the 5,000 and they had a remaining of 12 baskets overflowing, there's always more than enough. I want you to think about it. There's always more than enough in the house. Always more. Whatever you give to God, it, it says, you know, so little, we only have so little bread. What else do we have? God multiplied. So first thought, more than enough in the house. If you seek Him, He says, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs. Not because you saw the signs. The signs is just the opening of the way into. It says, but because you ate of the loaves and you were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set His seal on you. Now this whole thing about moving into the age to come or moving into maturity or pressing into eternity is for you and I. We work, we labour, we have provisions on the table. Anything that's added to us above and beyond the Lord says, give, and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. You know, with the COVID and all that, I'm just feeling this. This will be the best season in the church. The COVID has not taken from us, but it has given us the time to pause and reload and reprocess what is important. 
We've taken steps back when we work from home and reviewed and recalibrated what is important. Don't lose these uh, two years, I want to say to you. I just feel God saying that because the doors are going to open up again. Everything. Never going to say, ah, same old, same old. We're coming into this and I want to share this, this vision I feel is important. I had this vision when we first started the church in 1990. About 1991, I, we were in a prayer meeting and we used to have prayer meeting every evening from 5 to 6, every day, 5 to 6. I remember in one of the prayer meetings, the Lord gave me this picture of a tree. And I said, that's what Cornerstone is going to be, a tree. And I said, wonderful God. Place of refuge, place of strength, place of rest, protection. And I've seen God do that here. Taking in the weary, refreshing, the brokenhearted. And I thank God that this is not just a happy, happy church. That this is not just a church that, hey, come on, you know, we... No, we do life. We do life. We've had our feelings. But we come back to God again and says, Lord, we want to do life. Just Tuesday, just this Tuesday, and the Lord said this to me. He gave me this vision. And it was a tree. It had fruits. The Lord says, you're coming to this place of maturity. I'm sharing with you this because it's for all of us. And I want all of us to press in. We are, we are part of this tree. And God says, I want to see the fruits. I want to see the manifestation. The science opens. Seek God. And He will give us the way. Bless you. Praise the Lord. Why don't we all lift up our hands right now. I just want to close in prayer. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in this house right now, release your power, Lord. The powers of the age to come. Touch. Let us taste and let us see for ourselves the Lord is good. I release that in Jesus' name. I decree uh, in this church your power. I decree in this church increasing anointing, increasing power. Lord, I pray that we will go past the baptism of the Holy Spirit to press in, Lord, for the sevenfold anointings of God. But there is even something more in the Holy of Holies. There was a rod that budded Aaron's rod and speaks of resurrection life. Lord, I pray in this church that we will experience your resurrection life, God. That many will be resurrected on that beautiful that beautiful resurrection morning, Lord. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray, release your power over this house. And during this week, I pray that you will release tokens of the power that when we pray for the sick, they shall be healed. When we pray, Lord, for those that are infirm, when we pray for those that need deliverance, they will receive that deliverance in Jesus' name, God. We're tired of a powerless Christianity, Lord. We're tired of a cerebral Christianity. We want the power of Christ uh, manifesting in the church. And God, we stand here today and ask you, answer, answer us, Lord, in the day of our cry, in the day of our need, Lord. Let the power of God shake this place, hallelujah. Let the power of God come upon your people, energize them, empower them, fill them with the Holy Ghost. And I close in Acts chapter 4. The disciples were persecuted and they were beaten and they went back to their, their prayer meeting 
and they prayed and they said, Lord, you hear all these persecutions. Give us more power, more boldness, more grace to preach your word. Hallelujah. They were not going to back down. They were digging in and they were asking you for more. And you responded by shaking the place, hallelujah, with your power. So do that in Cornerstone, Lord. Let us experience the power of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Let's give the Lord a big praise. Hallelujah. just listen to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.